Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the Pensenberg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, joined as always with Hooksorpik himself, Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks everybody for joining us on episode 38 of the pod. Garrett, who's your favorite number 38 in Penguins history? Uh, well, I was looking at the list you gave me before the show, and I was thinking about being a troll and picking everyone's favorite enforcer, Zach Sill. Uh, but I think I'm just going to go with Yuri Herdina, uh, two-time Stanley Cup champion with the Pittsburgh Penguins in the early 90s. Nice. I'm taking the other Herdina. I figured. Jan Herdina, yeah. I mean, it's pretty much just like whoever is late 90s, early 2000s, that's who I pick. But that's who I'm picking here. Alrighty, uh, and with episode number 38 off and running, we have uh, quite a bit to talk about, and uh, we'll recap the last uh, bunch of games the Penguins have played since our last podcast episode, and Jim, it's been a pretty uh, historically bad stretch for the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, previously losers of six in a row after winning their last game against the Ottawa Senators, and we'll get to that momentarily. But, Jim, this uh, six-game losing streak the Penguins were on, uh, if I remember reading correctly, it was the worst losing streak uh, the Penguins had been on in eight years, going back to 2012, when Sidney Crosby was injured with, I believe, which was uh, he was dealing with concussion symptoms. So this is historically uh, scary territory the Penguins are often not finding themselves in. And uh, they went out to uh, the West Coast into California to see if they could get some wins back on their side and plague what was ailing them. And unfortunately, uh, out, outside of the Ottawa win that I just mentioned, the California road trip uh, resulted in three straight losses. We'll start first with the game against the Los Angeles Kings, a 2-1 to one losing effort for the Penguins. Jim, looking at this game against the Kings, uh, well, I mean, the Kings really aren't they're probably one of the worst teams in the NHL next to the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, I remember watching this game, and I was kind of pissed off that I stayed up and watched the entirety of this game when I could have been sleeping. That's how bored I was watching this game. Uh, Kings goaltender Cal Peterson, I believe he's a rookie, uh, made 35 of 36 saves to win the game for the Kings, like I said, 2-1. to one. Not really a lot to mention in terms of Penguin offense. Uh, the the lone goal scorer being Brian Rust here. Not too much really that I can remember from this game other than it being, I think it was the debuts of the, uh, was it the debuts of the trade acquisitions, Marlowe and Sherry and, and yep. Rodriguez? Okay, that's what I thought. That might be the only other piece of note for this game. Jim, anything you want to add between the Kings and Penguins in what was the 2-1 uh, to one loss for the team? 2-1, to one, that was tough. Uh, the Kings do have a bad record, but... They, out of all the teams that they played last week, they're probably the toughest all-around team just because they have a good defense pair with Joachim Ryan and Drew Doughty. And Cal Peterson has been a really good goalie in the AHL, so it's not totally stunning that he did well. But, you know, 35 saves on 36 shots, you never expect that. So, yeah, it was it was a disappointing start to the California trip, and unfortunately only a sign of things to come where the Penguins, even if they have an empty net, this is a game I think Crosby had a full net to shoot on. 
he shot, he raised his hands, he thought he scored, and after a video review, it was determined, no, the puck didn't go all the way over, and that was just kind of the puck luck they had, where no matter what they did, right, they didn't do enough of it, and they just couldn't find ways to score or win. There were all these games, they fall behind, one nothing at least, and that was a big development, too, in this losing streak, that the Penguins would fall behind and just be playing catch-up, and were unable to do so throughout their California trip last week. Yeah, Jim, that's a good point you bring up there. The, a lot of the a lot of the uh, personalities I follow on Twitter who report for the Penguins often said uh, it was just the, the bad puck luck that Penguins weren't getting the bounces, and had they got those bounce, bounces, like you said, uh, we could be talking about a completely different road trip. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. The Penguins take their losing effort from Los Angeles and head over to Anaheim to play the Anaheim Ducks in another losing effort. This time, the Penguins losing by a score of 3-2. to two. Uh, Jason Zucker, the scoring the two goals for the Penguins. Uh, the Penguins seemingly found a little bit of life in the third period. I felt they were trying to uh, pick their game up, but I think time uh, was slowly turned to, into their enemy for the Penguins and not really generating a lot of offense, thus losing three to two. Uh, I don't think, from what I remember from this game, not a whole lot other than Zucker's two goals scored. Uh, Matt Murray didn't have a great, uh, great game. You look at it on paper, 18 saves from 21 shots. Um, I, although Jim, I think if I remember this was the game where, uh, there were a couple of bad bounces. Again, we'll talk about, about bad bounces in front of Matt Murray that led to a couple of the goals that he gave up. So you look at the numbers on paper, they don't look very good with an 857 save percentage for Murray, but I think a couple of bounces went off of Zach Trotman, the defenseman. And, uh, it just, this kind of snowball effect throughout this Western California, this road trip, and uh, really, again, not a whole heck of a lot of positives to take away from what I can remember. So, Jim, do you have anything you want to add about the game between the Ducks and Penguins? Right. No no positives. Like you said, Zucker scored one late even to make it seem like a closer game. Um, this was a game where they took out Yuso Ricola again to play Zach Trotman on the left side. And like you mentioned, a couple of those goals went off of him, which is more bad luck than anything. There was one time he couldn't clear the puck, and that led to a sequence that, that a goal got scored on. So that, as always, was a curious lineup decision. Why do you dress for right-handed defensemen if you're Mike Sullivan when you have Ricola available? I don't know that there's a good answer about that. We've talked about that, you know, a lot going back here. So that that was a trouble and yeah, just the frustrations continue. Nothing could go right, it seemed like for the Penguins last week, and it was just one of those days and one of those series of games where no matter what they did, it wasn't it wasn't good enough and it was just everything compounding on each other. So just another tough one in a string of them and that continued in San Jose, probably in the biggest way. Yeah, it felt like the games against the Kings and Ducks, while obviously they were losing efforts for the team, I didn't feel like they the, the Penguins were, you know, completely mismatched and completely outplayed by their opposition. However, when we get to this game against the Sharks here, uh, yeah, like you said, everything was compounding, and, and this seemed this seemed like the climax of uh, of the Western road trip swing. Where at, at this point, I was just like, all right, we have to get out of California, we have to go back home. Because this, I mean, they, the the San Jose Sharks absolutely blanked the Penguins for a 5 nothing win over the team. Uh, obviously, there's not a lot of talk about if you don't even register a single shot or a single goal uh, for your team. So, uh, again, I guess the, the, the 
summary of this Western road trip is that, yeah, they were playing against some pretty lowly teams in the Western Conference. None of, I don't think any of these teams have positive records or are, and are in playoff hunt mode at, at the moment. So it was really just an unsuccessful Western swing that compounded and eventually led to this larger six-game losing streak before heading home to play the Ottawa Senators. But before we get to that, Jim, anything you want to add, put a bow on top of this Western uh, road trip between the Sharks and Penguins? This was a really tough one, and by now it looked like everything had caught up to the Penguins, whether it was the injuries or playing three games in four days or back-to-back. Like, they just looked tired. They they looked like they didn't have it, and, you know, they could you could tell that this was kind of a breaking point. Like, they were at the end of their ropes, and they needed something good to happen, and the good thing that happened is they got to come home, and they got to get Brian Dumoulin and John Marino back, and suddenly they looked a lot better on Tuesday. So, Jim, I— uh- Yes, this is a game against the Ottawa Senators finally snapped that six-game losing streak. and uh, We have a lot to talk about in terms of uh, players on the score sheet, so let's get right down into it and talk about this offensive explosion for the Penguins coming home and cooking up some, some home cooking on PPG Paints Arena Ice. The Penguins win by a score of 7-3, to three. and... Uh, a quick look at the score sheet here. Let's 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 roll down. Evgeny Malkin, four assists. Sidney Crosby, three points, a goal, and two assists. Uh, another big highlight: Brian Rust gets the hat trick. Uh, Jason Zucker, three points, a goal, and an assist. Connor Sheary registers a goal and an assist as well. Like you said, Jim, this was the the long-awaited return game for Brian Dumoulin and John Marino. Patrick Marlowe also registering an assist. So. The offense was out in full force, and I think in large part getting Marino and Dumoulin back were big um, big rallying points for the team. Finally getting those two defensemen back to properly round out that top four. It, it, everything seemed to come together. after, Even after Sidney Crosby tells uh, the local media, you know, he has to be better as a captain. He shouldered a lot of the blame for the the recent slump that the team had been on and getting the senators at home after a long losing streak and a bad California road trip uh, getting the senators seems to ail quite uh, seems to fix fix quite a few ailments the senators obviously aren't going anywhere so all in all this was a great performance by the team a lot of offensive firepower like i said Brian Rust continuing to have his career season getting the two defensemen back Crosby and Malkin cooking it up like always, uh, really uh, not a lot of bad things to take away from this game, Jim. What did you like from the game between the Senators and Penguins? There was a lot to like, and right from the beginning, the first time John Marino gets on the ice, he scores a goal, and that really just set the whole tone, especially like we were talking about earlier. Every game they lost in that six-game losing streak, they were behind one nothing. So to take the lead one nothing in the first minute of the game, that just put the stamp on it early to say, hey, it's going to be different. And then Connor Sherry scored the next shift after that to make it 2 nothing, and they were really off to the races. But, yeah, just the whole team, especially that top six, the top half of the lineup on Tuesday, just really carried the load uh, our buddy Jesse Marshall on Twitter put a really good breakdown of the play that Jason Zucker made on the first goal, which can kind of get lost in the weeds how he dumped it in after their shift was over and stayed in the zone, won the puck back, got to Malkin, who made a nice pass to Marino and stuff like that. Just the little attention to detail stuff is what the Penguins need, and they, they got it all over the ice that night. Um, Connor Sherry was making plays, that whole first line in general. 
It was their fourth game together with Zucker, Crosby, and Sherry. They all started to play better. They're starting to produce goals. So it was what you wanted to see. Uh, it was long overdue, and a team that good, they can't just score zero, one, two goals per game. They're going to break out eventually, and luckily they did in a big way. So hopefully that will regain the confidence and kind of put them on the right track here because after a game in Buffalo tonight, the day this podcast is coming out, then it's 10 straight Metro games, and a lot of those games are teams that are in the playoff hunt and chase with the Pens, and they're going to have to be at the top of their game here in March, and I think, or, you know, I guess you got to hope that a big win will kind of set the stage, set the standard, and they can go from there and flush all the bad memories of that long losing streak. Yeah, Jim, I guess that's the next talking point that I wanted to get into here, talking about the, the impact of this losing streak and where the Penguins are now and where they might have to be uh, as we really head into the, the the last stretch of regular season play here. Um, and I think you mentioned it, the, after the game against Buffalo, a lot of these games remaining for the Penguins are inside the Metropolitan Division. And during the losing streak, uh, I saw a lot of people on Twitter talking about how you know, it, you can't have losing streaks like this at this point in the season. It's uh, a massive detriment to the team who's looking to solidify their spot for uh, um, a playoff spot. And I'm curious to get your thoughts, Jim, on what you think this this losing streak did to the Penguins and whether you think this streak um, is is bad was was bad enough to. How do I how do I want to put this to jeopardize their their playoff positioning in any way? Currently, looking at their standings, they're still third in the Metropolitan Division, only a point behind uh, Philadelphia right now, with the Penguins at 82 points and the Flyers at 83 points, the Capitals even at 86 points. So the, the Metropolitan Division title isn't entirely out of reach, but I think the the losing streak didn't do the Penguins any favors if they really wanted to capture the division title, but. This streak as a whole, like I said at the start of the show, one of the worst in recent Penguins history, has it done anything in terms of the Penguins losing ground against a, a, a very, very tight and competitive metropolitan division as they look to solidify a spot for the playoffs? It's hurt it a little, but it, it hasn't done a lot because the Flyers currently, as we tape this, are on a six-game winning streak. They're about to play the Capitals on Wednesday, so we don't have the result of that yet. But other than the Flyers, everyone else in the division has been not doing great either. The Capitals, even since the All-Star break, have been relatively down. The Islanders currently have lost four games in a row. The Columbus Blue Jackets are, right now, probably more banged up than the Penguins have been, so they're kind of sputtering as well. Carolina has never gotten it together this year, which is really surprising. They've lost three in a row, and the Rangers look like they were going to make a push too, but they're down and out pretty much, and they've lost three games in a row themselves. So just from that stance, a lot of teams have been losing or had kind of down Februaries in the Metropolitan Division. What this did, though, is it's no coincidence the Penguins were in first place when this um, losing streak started, and they got bumped down to third. So instead of competing for first place or second place at worst, now they're kind of competing for second place or third place at worst, it looks like. So that's kind of the step back they've taken. It's not as dire as their whole playoff position in general. But yeah, um, two or three weeks ago, the Pens really could have won the division easily. And now that's probably not something that's that's all that likely to happen. So in that regard, yeah, it, it's a step back and for 
the upcoming playoffs for home ice advantage in round one and two. Maybe they'll have to settle for just one, if that. So that that's really where this losing streak is going to damage them in the long run. And they are pretty fortunate that the rest of the division, aside from Philly, has been in free falls themselves for the most part. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fight all the way to the finish, like you said, with so many games, uh, with 17 games left at time of recording, and a lot of those games, like we already talked about in the Metropolitan Division, it's going to be a battle to the very end. And hopefully, the Penguins, like you said, Jim, can put this this six game streak behind them and, and move forward. And Jim, we are going to move forward into our mailbag segment here. For first-time listeners, long-time listeners who are interested in joining our weekly mailbag segment, you can do so by following the Pennsburg Podcast Twitter account at Pennsburg Pod. Every Tuesday, I'll send out a tweet from the Pennsburg Podcast Twitter account asking for your participation in our weekly mailbag segment. And uh, Jim, we have quite a few fun questions to talk about this week. As always, Jim, you'll get first crack at the mailbag segment. And this first question here from JP Logan is a very fun question. I love getting these kinds of fantasy scenarios. JP Logan asks, three-on-three hockey, Sid, Gino, Latang, and Flower versus Mario, Yager, Coffee, and Barrasso, all in their prime and healthy. Who wins? Yeah, this was a great question. I liked it a lot. I know I would like to see this get played for sure, especially how at their prime. That, that would be really fun to watch. Uh, from thinking about it, I would take the older Pens crew just because all in their prime, I think Paul Coffey is the best skater on the ice. And if we're going three on three like this, that's going to be a huge advantage. And then on top of that, you have Mario Lemieux and Yager's offensive instincts. And in net, I probably give the edge to Barrasso over Flurry a little bit. So I would have to say the older um, first era of Penguins, I think, would have a little bit of an advantage just because it's three on three and Paul Coffey can skate. What was your take on that one, Garrett? I, I, I agree with you. Obviously, I wasn't around to watch Mario Yager, Coffee Barrasso, all of those guys in their prime. But I like, in addition to what you said about the, the, the one-two punch in Mario and Yager, I like Mario's size advantage. I know a lot of people won't, probably won't put, uh, won't put a lot of stock into uh, Mario's size when it comes to his overall play. But uh, just to add a little bit more diversity to the question, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think the, the first generation of Penguin greats I think would slightly edge out the current generation as well. Yeah, uh, the size is one thing, and the way he could skate, especially in his prime, I think is lost um, by the younger people because Mario Lemieux in 1988 had 10 shorthanded goals to lead the league, and in 1989 he had 13 shorthanded goals to lead the league. So he could really stretch the defense and just get out in all that open space and attack it. So that that's a huge factor that, that really is, is the type of talent that you don't see that often. So that's a good point on your part. I like that. Okay, our next question comes to us from Noah Knurr, who says, if you are GMJR, what players do you trade or not resign this offseason? Well, this question uh, was submitted to us before I got the news that, uh, and I think we have we have another question later on that talks about the goalie situation next year. And I think we can combine both of those questions and talk about the recent news that uh, during the general manager meetings this week, the NHL salary cap for next season is projected to be between 84 million and 88.2 million and the, the current salary cap sits at 
1.5 million. So what we're looking at maybe a three to four, three to $5 million increase. Maybe I don't think it's going to go all the way to 88 million. Um, but looking at what the Penguins have currently on cap friendly, Connor Sherry is an unrestricted free agent. They have a lot of RFAs to deal with next year. And uh, a lot of RFAs typically, I don't really think they have a lot of leverage to deal with when it comes to arbitration and things of that nature. Uh, Evan Rodriguez is an RFA. Jared McCann is an RFA. Anthony Angelo, he's an RFA. Uh, Sam Lafferty is an RFA. A lot of those minor league players don't have a lot of leverage. They're going to probably accept their deals outright. Dominic Simone is an RFA. And Marlo, Patrick Marlowe is a UFA. That's an interesting scenario as well. So who could, who could trade? Who could he trade and not resign? Uh, assuming Patrick Marlowe doesn't come back, that's another player off the books. Uh, Connor Sherry. Connor Sherry is an interesting one for me, Jim. I don't know. I, for, I don't know off the top of my head how much money uh, the Penguins are going to have next season for the salary cap. I'd personally like to see Connor Sherry come back. I think three mil, maybe three point five, is is pretty. Uh, pretty okay, I think, for a, a Connor Sheary contract. I didn't even look at their defense. Justin Schultz is a UFA. I've talked about it at length. I don't think Justin Schultz is coming back. Uh, and uh, Yuso Ricola is an RFA. For whatever reason, Jim, you talked about it earlier, the, the Penguins' coaching staff insistence on not playing uh, Yuso Ricola. He might not be back with the team next year. Uh, but the, the Penguins don't have a long list of UFAs to deal with. Connor Sherry is the only one that catches my eye. Other than that, uh, Marlowe is 40 years old. Maybe they bring him back one more year if they don't win the Stanley Cup and he doesn't ride off into the sunset. Other than that, Jim, like I said, a bunch of RFAs who may or may not have a little bit of leverage to deal with when it comes to figuring out a contract. Jim, looking at any of these contracts, does anything stick out to you? Anything that you disagree with on on uh, my point of view when it comes to who Jim Rutherford may not re-sign or trade? Right. Yeah. Uh, that sounds reasonable to me. A lot, lot so has to sort itself out. Sure. Yeah. If are they going to bring back both goalies? Maybe. And I will talk about that later. So maybe they look to move on from a goalie. Maybe if they need uh, salary cap savings, they'll trade Nick Bukestad. But at the same time, last summer everybody thought they would trade Brian Rust to save some salary cap money, and they didn't do that. So who knows? Uh, we know they did try to trade Jack Johnson last year in the Phil Kessel deal. So it's probably wishful thinking, but maybe they'll try to even trade Jack Johnson if they need to save a little money or they think that maybe a guy like Ricola could play more. So that, I guess, would be the dream, but who knows? Everything else sounds good. Uh, I think Marlowe for sure is going to go back to San Jose where his family is because he wants to break the all-time games played record out there, and I think that's pretty much going to happen. So he, he won't be back. Schultz won't be back. And everything else will just be restricted guys that they'll bring back if they want or if they want to make a trade and move on and change up their team. We know they'll do that, too. Jim, you mentioned the defense and specifically Jack Johnson here. And we'll get into a defensive question here uh, from I'm going to go. Well, we still don't know how to pronounce this username. I'm going to go with Sugar Sugar. And they ask uh, the new D pairings have Dumoulin and Latang, uh, John Marino and Marcus Pedersen rounding out the top four. These are the team's best four D-men, but that uh, new third pairing has two guys who have struggled in uh, Jack Johnson and Justin Schultz. 
any chance that either of those guys gets scratched and replaced with Chad Ruedel or Yuso Rakula at some point? Is there a chance? I mean, just this makes it sound like it's only for performance. And if it's only for performance, then I tend to lean that no, not with Mike Sullivan making the decisions, um, especially since they've used Ruedel and Zach Trotman on their offhands. So, um, Ruedel is probably the guy they see as their number seven defenseman who, if anybody gets hurt, he's going into the lineup. But I, I don't see them at all. Like, you know, it would be great if they'd scratch Jack Johnson again, but I don't see them scratching Jack Johnson to play Chad Ruedel anytime soon, which I'm sure is unfortunate to many, but that's just kind of the way the coach sees it, and the guy making the decisions makes those decisions. So there's not much we can do about it. All right, our... Last question comes to us from Jonathan LeBear, who asks, looking ahead to the offseason, what do you guys think will happen with the goalie situation? RFAs, I'm sure Murray will want a raise, and Jari has shown he can start. Do they trade one or do they trade one or the other or keep both and keep the status quo? Yeah, and with the news that the salary cap is projected to increase, so obviously we don't know by how much at this point, that could change depending on how much it increases by, that could change what the Penguins do in terms of their goaltender situation. You're right in thinking that Murray will probably want a raise to um, end the remainder, the remaining um, his, his remaining RFA status, which I think expires after next year anyway. But yeah, I think Murray is probably going to get a, range, a, a raise. I, I think we talked about it last week or the week before, uh, what Matt Murray's next contract will look like. I, anywhere, I think it's... I, I'm I'm in the mindset of it's probably going to be between five and seven, between five and seven mil per year. Uh, and we talked about it before, Jim, as well. I, I think there is a stronger possibility that one of these goaltenders is going to be traded. And it just so happens Tristan Jari is the younger of the two goaltenders, even only by a year. He makes the smaller amount of money. And the question was right. You know, Jari this year has proven he can start. So, you know, if you want to connect the dots and read between the lines a little bit, maybe they look at trading away Matt Murray for a, a decent package. Who, who knows? Maybe who knows who, need, who, who needs goaltending help uh, at the start of the free agent period in the summer after the draft? That's going to be another question. Uh, but I, I think at this point, Jim, in in March, early March, it's just you, you really don't you don't have to think about this. It's more of a wait and see kind of thing. What the Penguins do uh, by the end of the season, if if Murray's their guy and takes them into a long Stanley Cup run and maybe even wins the whole thing, you know, maybe they stick with Murray as their guy and trade Jerry, or maybe they run with Jerry and the opposite happens. Maybe Jerry takes them a long way and Murray's out the door. Really, there's a whole lot of different scenarios that I think could play out here between now and the end of the season. But like we've said before, it's going to be a really interesting, uh, interesting situation to keep an eye on because not too often, I don't think, many goaltenders, you have this 1A, 1B relationship. And, you know, I don't think it's not smart to pay both of these goaltenders starting goaltender wages in the salary cap era. So I don't think it's one of these guys is going to go. It's just a matter of who and when uh, is my opinion, Jim, what about you? True. It's who and when, and 
the who is unknown. I mean, we get this question every week. I don't know why people <laughs> want to skip to the summer when there's so much of the good stuff to come. But we don't know who and we don't know when because Rutherford's going to keep his goalies as long as he can. So if there's a way he can keep both of them next year, I think he definitely would like to do this. And, I mean, right now they're literally the past 10, 11 games they've been rotating. One goalie plays one game, the next plays the next. No matter how good or bad they play, they keep rotating. So that's a sign they don't know what they want to do yet for the playoffs, and they haven't figured it out. So we just got to roll with it and see what's up. Yep, we're going to keep rolling with it as we get closer and closer to that final push for the playoffs. It's going to be a final month, a little bit over a month left of the regular season, Jim. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up episode number 38 of the Pennsburg podcast? That's all I got. Um, a lot of games coming up here in the next couple of weeks, so hopefully everybody's ready and at least we're back on the East Coast, so it won't be late night anymore. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I don't want to say I sound like an old man, but when I, I, I used to love 10 o'clock games, and I found myself during this this road trip to the West Coast. I was in bed, and I, I was like, I was kind of mad at myself for staying up late and watching these games. But yeah, they're back on the East Coast, like you said, Jim. It's going to be a fun ride to the finish. Uh, you can follow along all season long and into the postseason as well. Stay notified when new episodes of the Pennsburg podcast get released. We are on every major streaming platform of choice, I believe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. Follow the Pennsburg podcast Twitter account to get notified when new mailbag tweets go out. Follow Pennsburg at Pennsburg on Twitter and Pennsburg on Facebook as well as Pennsburg.com to stay up to date with all of the Pittsburgh Penguins happenings around the National Hockey League. But for Jim Rixner, Hooks Orpic, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Pennsburg Podcast, and we will see you next week.